This morning's scripture passage comes from the minor prophet Habakkuk. I enjoy sometimes when I'm talking with the children about major prophets and minor prophets. We have five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And I enjoy telling them major and minor has nothing to do with how important they are. They're all important or they wouldn't be in scripture. Minor simply refers to the fact that they're short. Um, In the original temple and the synagogues, the major prophets had a scroll of their own. And then there was a scroll that had all 12 of the shorter minor prophets. And so you'd have to hunt a little more in the scroll to find the one you were looking for. And this one is out of Habakkuk. Um, which will absolutely hide from you if you're trying to find it in Scripture, flipping through. I'm reading out of chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then going over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is the prophetic reading in the lectionary for today. I invite you to hear God in these words of Holy Scripture. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, Lord, how long will I call for help and you not listen? I cry out to you, violence, but you don't deliver us. Why do you show me injustice and look at anguish so that devastation and violence are before me? There is strife and conflict abounds. The instruction or the law is ineffective. Justice does not endure because the wicked surround the righteous and justice becomes warped. I will take my post. I will position myself on the fortress. I will keep watch to see what the Lord says to me and how he will respond to my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write a vision and make it plain upon a tablet so that a runner can read it. There is still a vision for the appointed time. It testifies to the end. It does not deceive. If it delays, wait for it, for surely it is coming. It will not be late. Some people's desires are truly audacious. They don't do the right thing. But the righteous person will live honestly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Prophets and prophecy are interesting things. Um, When we think about prophecy, you may think, as I do, more like fortune tellers, like somebody sees something in the future, tells you something you don't know, makes a prediction. But prophecy actually means bringing a word from God to God's people. That's what the prophets do. God says something to them and they share it with God's people. It is actually what pastors attempt to do every Sunday morning is to have spent time with God and heard God say something, and then we share with God's gathered people in worship what it is that God has said and is saying to us. And the prophets, the prophetic voices, can be a little bit hard. In Israel, they had the two roles, the priest and the prophet. The priest facilitated your religious experience. They read the scriptures, they blew the horns, they lit the candles, they waved the incense, they slaughtered your Passover lamb, they set your stuff on fire. That's what a priest did. Prophets were usually not of the priestly class. God raised up somebody else to deliver a word, and very often those words were pretty hard. You feel like your toes have been stomped on when you read them. 
We still have more priestly voices and more prophetic voices today. And prophetic voices are the ones that sometimes tick you off. And what we seek to do is to blend those together so that as pastors, we facilitate your religious experience and give you a word from God for what we are going through. Habakkuk, however, differs from the other prophets in one important way. He never says anything to God's people. The tiny little book of Habakkuk that we have is a conversation between Habakkuk and God. And if you read it, it's a little bit irreverent because he starts with a complaint in the first four verses that we read in chapter 1 and God answers him and Habakkuk lodges a second complaint and then we heard at the very end of what I read God answer him again. Basically, Habakkuk cries out and he goes, God, things are terrible around here. things are bad. There is violence and there is oppression and there is injustice. People are not living righteous lives. Where are you and what are you doing? He basically shakes his finger in God's face and goes, why are you not doing your job? To which God goes, well, where I am is right here where I always have been. And I am doing my job. Basically, why are you not doing yours? He says, my people are choosing to live unrighteously. And I will eventually, I'm going to do something about that. And here's what's going to happen. Babylon is going to conquer you. And it's not going to be pretty. You're going to lose all the blessings that I've given you because you've chosen not to live like I've instructed you to live. So Habakkuk comes back and he goes, what? you got to be kidding me, God. They're worse than we are. Why would you use them to mess things up for us? And then he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up there on that wall and I'm going to stand watch until you come and give me an answer. Um, I did a little research. I remembered seeing the ramparts or the watchtowers and the walls. I have a couple of pictures. Um, Those of you who have been to Israel remember the walls around the old city of Jerusalem and you could go up. There's a a rampart's walk or a, a watchman's walk that you can go across. Those little, they look like upside down dental teeth molding stuff at the top. There's a walkway and that's where they would put watchmen up there to look out. And of course now right outside that wall there's more city. But there wouldn't have been at the time. And they would put people up there to watch. Now they were watching for enemies. You wanted to see the enemy coming. But they would also station people to watch when they knew somebody important was coming to visit. When there were groups coming in and you're expecting people, they sometimes stood up there and waited and watched for friendly to come. And I think that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's frustrated and he has taken this to God, but he goes, I know that you have an answer and I'm going to go stand up there until you do. I know you're going to come and say something. And God does. What God says is, Okay, now write this down. I don't know if you've ever been in a difficult conversation. I co-pastored with Tony Jones for six months up in the Albertville area. And Tony had a beautiful way of making sure that communication had happened well. When he would have a conversation, he had learned a couple of people we interacted with didn't always hear what was said. And so he would get to the end of what he was saying and he'd say, so tell me what you heard. Tell, tell me back what it is that you heard. And he'd go, so are we, are we clear? 
And I overheard him one day having a difficult conversation with one of his children. And he was using the same technique. Now tell me what he heard. So what happened? How did we not hear this before? And he said, so are we clear? And she went, crystal. Crystal clear. I feel like that's kind of what God does. God says to Habakkuk, write this down and let's get it crystal clear. I have a way that I want you to live. I'm not blind to all the bad that is going on. But my people will live like this no matter what is going on. I find it a beautiful way for God to say. I like the way the New Living gives us the fourth verse. The New Living says, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Paul picks this up. He repeats it in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. He repeats it again when he writes a letter to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. And the author of Hebrews picks it up in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39, around there. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live faithfully. I don't know about you, but I can identify a little bit with Habakkuk right now. Every time I get on social media, every time I turn on the news, every time I open a newspaper, <clears throat> there's violence, there's injustice, there's oppression. I was telling somebody in the chapel service this morning, I really should quit reading the comments on news stories and posts. I never cease to be appalled at the way we talk to each other. There was a tragic story that happened up, I believe it was in the Boaz area, um, Young man on a four-wheeler ran from the police. There was a chase. And the young man ended up being shot and killed. And I watched half of the comments turn on the police officer. They assassinated him without a trial. That police officer should be shot. This is what's wrong with our world. The others turned on the young man. Well, that's what happens when you run from the police. You get shot. And I thought... Here is a police officer whose heart is probably broken that he's having to live with this. And a police officer's family. There's a police department that is having to live with this. There is a young man whose life was taken too soon. And a family who is grieving. And we are being absolutely unloving, unkind. And we have no idea what the just thing is in this. And it plays out over and over and over. We don't just have our opinions of the best way to do things. We have to win at all costs to get our way. And it just, and it feels overwhelming. Like, what in the world can I do? And I'm like, God, where are you? Look at the mess we're making of this. And for some people, the answer is, well, God's going to come back and it's just all going to be over. Well, we do believe that eventually God is coming back. But we don't know when that is. And we want to be on the wall watching for when that might be. To see God coming, but there are things we ought to be doing in the meantime. And that's what God tells Habakkuk. What you do is the right thing. You live faithfully. 
You do the right thing. I have a a colleague in ministry who said when he started, he would call his mentor. He had the great good fortune of being assigned to a mentor that he enjoyed talking to and could actually call and ask questions of. And he would say, I have no idea what to say to a family in the middle of this kind of crisis. I have no idea how to settle this squabble that is happening in a meeting. I have no idea how to solve this financial problem. I have no idea how to get more people to come to my church. His mentor would say, well, just do the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. And sooner or later, those next right things become a string of right things and become a life of faithfulness, always trying to choose the next right thing. Eugene Peterson has a book, um, A Long Faithfulness in the Same Direction. You may be familiar with Eugene Peterson's name. Um, He was a Presbyterian pastor, and he is the translator of the message translation. He did not want to be a local congregational pastor. He wanted to be a biblical languages professor in a seminary. He said, because I'm not so great with people. And God said, no, I want you to go to my people. And he resisted. He was pretty good at it. He wasn't as good at it as I am. I resisted longer. But when he finally went, he says, ministry and all of this Christian journey, even for those who aren't in vocational ministry, is a long obedience in the same direction. It's just consistently and constantly trying to choose the next right thing, the next godly thing, the next direction God would have us to do the next thing. I don't know about you, but I can't solve everything happening in the world, and it's overwhelming. I don't know how we lower violence rates. I don't know how we lower the number of children who are hungry, the people living below the poverty line. I don't know how we teach people to talk more kindly to one another, to cooperate, to accomplish things for the greater good. I don't know how to solve all that. But you know what I do know? I know how to do the next right thing that God puts in front of me. I know how to do the kind, loving, just-filled, faithful thing that happens right here. And I'm reminded that if I do that, and you do that, and you do that, we put it together and we have a chance to make a difference in our world. And I think part of the meanness, part of the injustice, part of the unrighteousness, part of the oppression that we see is because people are anxious and frustrated and they don't know what to do and they don't know how to solve it. And their frustration makes them behave inappropriately. I shared with the staff a a presentation from Leadership Institute by a woman named Jenny Catron. And she says that we have now, in a post-COVID world, identified a sixth stage of grief. I'm not going to try to name the first five because I'll mess them up. But we're familiar with five stages of grief. They include like denial and anger and bargaining, and I forget one of them. But we now have a sixth one. And we are grieving so much that we lost, so much that has changed because of COVID. The sixth one is the search for meaning and purpose. People no longer want to do the things they were doing if they see no meaning and purpose to them. The number of people who are suffering from depression and anxiety and insomnia 
And they're grap- they don't just want to live, grow up, have a few joyful moments, work a job, retire, and die. They want to make a difference. They want their time on earth to have made a difference. My friends, we know that purposefulness, meaningfulness in life is found in living the way God tells us to live. That's where we find purpose, doing the next right thing. And we do that because we're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We become, as one of the hymns says, a foretaste of glory divine. Jesus was that foretaste. We are now the body of Christ, continuing his mission in the world. And we become that foretaste of glory, that glimpse into what the kingdom of God should be like by doing the next right thing. After all, our goal, we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means God, bring to the here and now what you have created in heaven. Make your plan, your goal, your dream, your design for this world, make it a reality and let it begin with me and the next right thing. The people of God will live by righteousness. And why does he call that a vision? Like, why does that need to be written down? Because we forget. Because we forget things. I forgot what I was going to do this morning. Walked out in the narthex, ran into Jason, had no idea what I went to do. I did figure it out. But we forget. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get interrupted. It's easy to forget what our goal and our mission and our purpose is. And when that happens, the world will happily give us a vision. You must be stressed all the time and compete. You must run yourself into the ground. You must never be good enough and always trying. You never have enough. There's nothing that can be done about violence. This is how we treat people. They're just speaking their mind. They're just telling the truth. That is not God's vision. God's vision woven through Scripture and heard most clearly in the Sermon on the Mount is of a world that is just and fair, where the currency is love and the air we breathe is grace. We live in the presence of a God who created us and called us good and who said, so is every other person created in my image. Do the right thing. We as the people of God have to refuse to let the world give us a vision for our life and reclaim the vision of God for God's people. We are on a justice watch. Where can we bring justice or rightness into the world around us? I promise you, if we're paying attention and we're listening, God puts in front of us every single day some way for us to do the next right thing. May God inspire us and hold us in His arms as we seek to be more like His Son, Jesus Christ.
I've told you over several weeks, and I, I missed being with you last Sunday. I asked you to begin reading through the book of Acts, to give me 10 minutes a day of reading, seven minutes of those reading, seeing what the first disciples, the first church dealt with. How did they handle confusion, conflict, uncertainty, and obstacles? And what might we learn from that as we too seek to be disciples in our world? And then to spend three minutes just sitting and saying, God, who do you want us to be? Not what do you want us to do? We'll figure out the doing. Who do you need us to be in order to be your people? To be the inbreaking kingdom of God, to be a foretaste of your glory here in Anniston, Alabama. Who do we as Anniston First United Methodist Church need to be? And I've enjoyed having some of you give me feedback about what you hear and what you've seen. And if you're on social media, on Facebook, I'm going through sharing my thoughts and, and what I see in there. I also ask you to pause criticism. Just pause the criticism. It's very easy to get hung in that negativity loop. And so for the rest of this year, we're not going to complain to one another. We're not going to complain to our neighbors out in the world. We're going to take our complaints to God, just like Habakkuk did, and tell him. Because at some point you've seen enough news and negativity, you need to turn it off and go find some good in the world. And not just that, or you'll begin to think that's all there is. If we always only look for the negative, we'll only see the negative. But if we train ourselves to look for the good, we can see the good. And there is good that happens around us. I also asked you to think about the best time in your life, and then the best time in the life of our church. And now I want you to take both of those and examine why. Why was that the best time in your life? Because it probably had to do with relationships and people and the way you felt loved and the way you felt blessings or equity or fairness had come your way. You felt safe, secure, and loved. If that wasn't part of the best time that you experienced, I'd like to hear that from you. Continue to look for the good. Continue to journey through Acts. Continue to ask God, who do you need us to be? Because we're going to be working with a group called the Unstuck Group here at the church to clarify our vision. Who are we? Who does God need us to be? And what is that going to look like in Anniston and Calhoun County, Alabama? It will be some version of the righteous live by faithfulness. What does that look like in Anniston, Alabama? as you and I are on justice watch, doing the next right thing. May God go with us. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, you created this world and you called it good. And you gave us instructions for how to live, recognizing that each person we come across is also made in the image of God. And Lord, we just don't seem capable of treating one another that way. But your Holy Spirit at work in us can help us to do better. Give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. Give us open hearts, open mind, and open doors that we can be your people in this place. Bringing a little bit of justice in an unjust world. A little bit of light in whatever darkness comes. A little bit of love in what feels like a world full of hate. 
In other words, make us like your son, Jesus, and make us your people. In Christ's name, amen.